0: Hi, this is Jeff Dixon. I'm the pastor of Waterlife Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Today, as you tune in, you are listening to part four of our series, Rewired Worship. And I want to ask you to ask yourself this question. Do I worship God for what he can do or for who he is? If we could answer that question and say we worship for who he is... Then when the storms come, the trials come, maybe when the plan that we thought was his gets changed a little bit, we'll be able to do like Paul and Silas, sing praises and love our God, even in the midst of what seems like bondage. I hope you enjoy. I want to continue today on our rewired worship. It just keeps unfolding to me. Uh, Part four, we might get to a part eight. I have no idea. I'm just going to keep going because if you think about the essence, did you get the recording going? The essence of what we do here today is worship. The essence of our lives is worship. The reason that God has us Uh, He created us as he wanted connection and fellowship with man. And that is what worship really is. And this outcry that is within our hearts that goes all the way back, as I described in that engage, this outcry in our hearts, desiring some kind of an encounter with God. It all stems from our express love and devotion to him. It's this place of worship. It's this place of freedom. It's this place of hope and the encounters that we get to have with him uh, I love that I can come and worship him, and he meets me, but my him meeting me doesn't affect my desire to worship him, and it shouldn't be that way. It's more than a feeling. It's, it's, it's this, I, I don't know how else to describe, because we can't hardly put words to things that aren't feelings, because we're feeling beings, but it's this, it's deeper than just a feeling. So anyway, I want to look today at this worshiping outside the plan. You see, we all, I think, have our plans, right? When we're younger, when we grow up, we have a plan. We want to be doctors or lawyers or nurses or policemen or firemen or something. We always have a plan. We start planning at the very early ages. How am I going to get away with this? How am I going to get my next snack? How am I? We've got all of these built-in plans. And uh, we've got to understand that sometimes plans don't go according to how we plan them out. Um, I am a very deliberate person. I Every aspect of what we've done this morning, every detail I've prayed about and I've been very deliberate on. There's not a thing this morning that isn't purposeful and planned out. However, I'm willing to break off of the plan should God take us there. But I believe as I meet with him in this deliberateness, he can meet with us in that. So, um, But anyway, plans sometimes don't go according to how we had hoped they would work out, um, But within that plan or that change of plans, which just drives me bonkers, um, I want to ask this question opening up is, how well do you trust God? I think it's real easy right now for us to come in and say, I trust God. Because I imagine for us, things are going well, right? Life's good. Family's doing well. Work is going well. It's easy to say, I trust God. But what happens when it appears that he has removed himself from the plan? Appears is the key word there, because I I can tell you he's never going to leave us, nor is he ever going to forsake us, the Bible says. But what do we do when it seems like he is withdrawn from the plans that we thought were going our way? Do we still trust him? You take it to the next level and ask the question, do we worship him for who he is rather than what he does? Man, it's awesome to really, when things are in a hype and when God is providing and, and he's, he's demonstrating himself, it's a whole lot easier to be like, yes, God, I worship you. But when that's not happening, were we then worshiping because of who he or what he was doing? Are we worshiping him for who he is? But I love that he promises within the plan or within the break-in plan, it seems like he's still working for our good. Look at Romans 8, verses 26 through 28. Very common, oftentimes misplaced scripture. Because when we're going through the crud or someone, we always like to quote this scripture. But we've got to understand, we cannot use this scripture to justify God putting us through garbage. But we can use this scripture to justify how he's going to move within it. So read this with me. It says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. I love that we have a weakness because it requires the spirit to be strong within us and a reliance upon him. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us. Look at this description with groans to teep words. I described a couple of weeks ago a a place of encounter with God where English, I couldn't even speak a word. All I could do was moan and groan. There was something so deep within me that the only way I could express what I was experiencing in the presence of God was to make a tone, but I couldn't put anything behind it. But even further than that, the Spirit intercedes for us. Go back. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep. This is this encounter where the Holy Spirit actually does move when we don't know how to and go on to the next verse and it says and he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according oh that got cut off according to his purpose we know that those who love god all things okay i just got off a little bit but according to the will of god and verse 28 is the key one here and it says and we know that for those who love god how many of us would say, I love God? Come on, I think, I think we're, we're, we're here. So he's talking to us. He's talking to you and me. We've got to recognize, though, that you and me who love God beforehand, there was things going on. We were struggling maybe with weakness. We had times in which we didn't know what to do. But the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, and it's according to the will of God. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I want to remind you all in this place that we have a purpose. Every one of us in this room has a purpose. But God is working for those who love him. He's working the good work within us. And I I love that. I love that when things aren't exactly going to plan. Like I talked about earlier. We've got to realize that God is still working for the good. In Job's life, he he lost ev- literally everything including his family and kids, his wife, his marriage, his kids, his health, his wealth, everything. He lost it all. But somehow in the midst of that, God was working together for his good. And we read later on in the book of Job that the latter years were better than the former years in his life. Wow. What a great what a great redemptive plan. What a great thing. What a great description of of a need to, to cry out and meet with our God and know that our latter years are better than our former years. So that, with this in mind, knowing God works all things together for our good, let's approach worship with this. And, and I want to look at a very, another very, very common story. He's totally cool. Another very, very common uh, story. Many of us grew up hearing this if we grew up in church. Um, but it's in Acts chapter 16, and this is verses, we're going to read all of them, 11 through 40. This is a great encounter when Paul and Silas are doing a, a, a work for the, for the things of God, and all, apparent, all appearances, it's going well. The, the people are responding, lives are getting changed. But when it looks like all things are going well, there's a major detour, a distraction, something that happens in their life in their ministry, and if you allowed your flesh to experience what's going on, your flesh would say, I must not be in God's will, I must retreat, I must withdraw. God has turned his back on me, he must not be thinking of me. But I want us to look and see how Paul and Silas experience this, what appears to be change of plans, and maybe even God removing himself, although he didn't from their circumstances, at least it seemed that way in the natural. So it says... And Acts sixteen again, verse starting in verse eleven, it says, "So setting fell sail from Trous, we made a direct voyage to uh, Samothrace and the Fellowship of Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is already or which is leading, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. That's key. We need to understand this is a Roman colony, and 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 we're going to recognize the significance of that here in just a minute. And it goes on to say." Um, we remained in this city some days. We remained here for several days, and on the Sabbath day, we sat outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed where we where sorry we supposed there was a place of prayer. We had that inkling of an idea that there was a place. We realized here that on the Sabbath day they went to meet with god and and the key thing I want us to recognize here is they found God. They found an encounter with God, not based on the right set of circumstances, not based on the the church looking just right or having lighting or having perfect chairs. As a matter of fact, they even were seeking after God in a connotation which excluded Jesus. They were looking for Him in a Jewish uh, synagogue they They met there, even though that's got a foundation of the deliverance and the faith, and that's the same Jehovah. They are now on the side of the cross where they worship Jesus and they experience the benefits of that side. You know, they didn't have to go find a church. They didn't have to go find a specific place that believed exactly like they believed. They just knew that if they sought after the presence of God, they would find him. So here they are in a place of prayer. And it says, we sat down and spoke to a woman who had come together. To the women who had come together. You see, this is what we're going to call the plan. They've shown up. They're in this place, and they're beginning to speak and minister the things of God. They're talking to a people that have not had a true revelation of who Jesus is. And that's their whole purpose, this missionary journey that they're on. And the plan happens. And one uh, who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. She loved God. She worshipped God. Now listen, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me, be faithful to the Lord. Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So again, the picture here is we've got a a setup that is brilliantly worked out where Paul and Silas, or Paul specifically here, has begun to Uh, describe who Jesus is, Lydia and her household have now had a a revelation of who Lydia is, or I'm sorry, of who Jesus is. She is now in her household have been baptized and she's saying, come, you now have a place to stay. And it seems like when the plan is going well, there's provision that follows the plan. So this is the provision side. This is the open door. This is the moment in which we begin to see the manifestations of the working of God. It's the moment in which we encounter the actual physical move of God where lives are being changed, lives are being touched, and everything looks fantastic. Then something happens. It says as we we're going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl. Who had a spirit of divination brought on her owners. And it brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Cool. We're going to get to cast out a devil today. She followed Paul. And us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the ways of salvation. That seems true, right? This is coming from this fortune telling woman filled with a spirit of divination. But listen in verse 18, and she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become Greatly annoyed. I love the reality of who Paul is here. The the picture we see of a real man who ministers under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Paul became really annoyed and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Imagine this. Can you just picture us? What would happen if God even moved in in the midst of our annoyance of other things? Think about it. This woman is coming. She's annoying them. She's declaring the truth, but she's annoying them. And I don't think that they had to sit back and intercede and fast. They were already in great connection with God. They didn't have to pray about and decide. They didn't even have to work it up. Paul just haphazardly looked to the woman and said, come out. And the Spirit left her. Oh, that we would be a people in which God responds that easily and that quickly to our request, so that we would be a people that when we cry out to God or when we command things to happen, that we walk in such an authority that even demons have to respond immediately. People have to come to silence. Looked pretty good. You know, God honored that request, but it sure did open up the door for a a great distraction in their life. And verse 19 says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And then they had brought them, when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. It's interesting. So we recognize early on, by the way, that they're in a colony of Rome, right? We're in a province of Rome, a place governed by Roman law. And these people, Paul and Silas, have come in in their entourage and they've ministered Jesus. But the people see and declare that they are Jews and they're messing some things up. This is not a Jewish state. This is a Roman state. And what they're doing is messing up progress for us. They advocated customs, listen, that are not lawful for us as Romans or accepted as a good practice. Interesting. Verse 22, it says, the crowd joined in attacking them. I love it. I, I think it's interesting that we've got this setup where Paul and Silas have come in, they're ministering to these women, and Lydia specifically has heard her whole household has had the revelation of who Jesus is as he's establishing himself as the king in this kingdom, desiring the glory of man directed towards him. They're really doing no harm and all of a sudden the whole crowd gathers around. I'm going to tell you this morning that when we get really serious about the things of God, when God begins to really move amongst us and we begin to do some great and mighty exploits for him like I expect that we're going to do as this body, people are going to look at us and they're going to judge us falsely. They're going to accuse us negatively. They're going to point fingers at us and say, that church over there, that's a cult. Or that church over there, it's, it's crazy. They're flaky. They're weird. They're, they're outside the norm. But I'm here to tell you that when we are fully encompassed within the things of God, those have to happen because people cannot understand. They cannot begin to understand what it is that we're experiencing in this place. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many bowels upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them a safe. So they've been beaten, they've been flogged publicly. They're pretty beaten down. right? It looked pretty good when it first started out, didn't it? It looked great they were people were responding to the move of God people were getting a revelation of Jesus. now the crowds are insulting and they they where's God in this? They were doing his work. can't he just step in and deliver them? Why didn't he just step in and deliver them? but now not only are they beaten and messed up and 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 literally in physical pain, they've lost their Their um, credibility in the crowd, and now they're thrown into jail. This is what I'm going to call the push. The push. You see, we've got people all around that are pushing us to conform to their ways, their customs, their 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 idea of how it should be. We have a push from churches across this world that say this nation that say this is how it should look, and as soon as you veer from that, you have gotten outside of of what we call acceptable practices, and the attack, the push comes. Verse 24 says, Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Can't go anywhere. Where's God? Where is God in this? Why has God abandoned us? Were we not? This is kind of how I would begin to think. I think, ha- haven't I been doing your will, God? Haven't I been preaching the gospel of the kingdom? Haven't I been demonstrating your works through signs and wonders? Haven't I been doing all of this for you, God? Why on earth did you allow this to happen to me? Why on earth did you allow this to, to invade my life? Why am I under attack? not how Paul and Silas responded, because they weren't moved in desire and encounter with God based on their circumstances. They didn't love him for what he could do. They loved him for who he is. You see, when we're in pain, when we're beaten down, when things are not seeming to line up, we tend to say, oh, God's closed the door. We need to leave. But really, in all reality, he's putting us in a... Put us in a position where we can begin out of our desperation, not because we want to see him move, but because we have a revelation of who he is, we begin to just lift up his name. We begin to worship him for who he is. It's hard for us, isn't it? Isn't it hard to worship God when things aren't going well? Isn't it easy to retreat and back up? We quit reading our Bible. We quit um, seeking after him. We quit praying. Am I... Bold enough this morning to say that if those circumstances were affecting us, we didn't have a revelation of truly who Jesus is. You see, if he never did anything else for us other than die on the cross, if we never were healed, if we never experienced his presence again, he's done enough. But about midnight, say midnight, so I know you're with me. Midnight. At about midnight. You know, nothing happens good in the midnight hour. It's when we get in trouble. It's when, uh, it's the, the picture here specifically, the, the metaphor here is this is the darkest hour. It's not just the author of this book saying that at a time frame, in the morning, as, as night turns to morning. No, he's saying in the darkest hour. You see, we're not in our darkest hour. We're, in, we're getting ready to be in our bright, shining moment. But in our darkest hour, when we've been given the diagnosis of the C word, or when, when we have this going on, or when our finances are being destroyed, when we can barely make ends meet, maybe relationships are starting to fall away. Well, I don't know what your darkest hour is, but in Paul and Silas's darkest hour... It says here we were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't think they were moved in their love for God again based on what they were going through. They just loved him. Can we be that strong? Can we be in a position where we can cry out to God in our darkest hour? Can we find an expression of love and devotion to our king in our darkest hour? I love this. You see, when we are truly worshiping the father. When we truly are singing and loving on him and giving our full expression, it says here something happened. That's not what you think I'm going to say. says, the prisoners were listening to them. You see, people will take note. They're watching to see how you respond in your dark moment, in your darkest hour. People are waiting to see you and how you're going to respond. People in your same circumstance. Maybe they followed Jesus. Maybe they have, have sought after him and they're in the darkest hour with you. Which one of you this morning is going to step up? And declare the praises of God, regardless of what's going on around. Which one of you is going to step up and lead others? Because we see the prisoners were listening to them. And once again, as God loves to do many, many times all throughout Scripture, one of my favorite phrases, because I have a lot of them, and suddenly suddenly i love when god suddenly no that's not a word but i love it when he does something suddenly and it says and suddenly there was a great earthquake so take a earthquake to get you to move or are you going to move and cause an earthquake This earthquake came so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. I, I also get this picture here that when we come to our darkest moment in that midnight hour and we begin to try and seek after the things of God, there's going to be some circumstances around us that shake the very foundations of our core. And I'm going to tell you, that which can be shaken will be shaken. And it's important that we have a foundation on the solid rock so that when the earthquake comes, when the foundation begins to shake underneath us, we can stand in the very presence of God and experience total freedom. For in this circumstance, in this situation, they may have been in shackles, they may have been bound in the dungeons of the prisons, but they were not in prison whatsoever. they were as free as if they were walking in this world out there they were as free as if they had never been put in bondage and I ask you do the shackles determine if you're in bondage or does the living God determine if you're living in freedom and here it is again like suddenly it says and immediately the doors were open and everyone's, everyone's not just Paul and Silas But everyone's bonds were unfastened. You see, this is the praise. The praise. This is where we find after the push that has come upon us, the attacks that have come upon us, we step up and we say, God, I love you and I worship you for who you are. Not for what you can do. It's why when we come into his presence. And we're struggling with something. Maybe we've got sickness in our body. We cannot seek the healing. We have to seek the healer. Now. If I were again Paul and Silas. Which I'm far from. I'm out of chain. My chains. I'm no longer bound. What am I doing? Am I hightailing out of this circumstance? Out of this door that should never have been opened out of this place that appears to be outside of the will of God. Paul and Silas don't do that, it says when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, assuming or supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We are all here Isn't that interesting There's a thing behind me Isn't that interesting That they have been set free But they weren't free to begin with And when you're free to begin with Then you have this ability to hear And sense and know And realize that these circumstances Again don't dictate God's goodness Therefore I must stay here Until he has released me to walk out And as a result of this It says, the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fill fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, when we're free, even in the midst of what appears like prison, people are going to cry out and desire what it is that we have For freedom, again, is not predicated upon the circumstances in which we are surrounded. And freedom is predicated upon the fact that God is on the throne. We're not. And that he desires our love. Verse 21, it says, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. You see, this man is already beginning to help Paul and Silas in their situation. And this man, he was baptized at once. Not just him, but his entire family. It says his whole family or his household. Verse 34, and when they brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. What an opportunity that would have been missed if he just hightailed it out there. If he had realized, if they had realized that they had been in bondage and now they're not. But they were never again focused on the fact that they were bound They were focused on their freedom and who Jesus is And I'm telling you this morning When you're free in Jesus and you can't make the mortgage bill You're still going to praise Him When you're free in Jesus And you can't seem to get out of bed Because you feel like garbage You're going to praise Him When you're free in Jesus and everything around you is broken Your cars don't work, your dog runs off Whatever country song I can try to imagine this place When you're free in Jesus You can still worship Him in the midst of the storm It's like the disciples discovered When Jesus Was sleeping in the storm They went to him and said Master, master, save us We're going to die And he just looked at them And was like, you're crazy I have peace He spoke to the storm to be still You see, we have that same authority to speak to the storm in our lives. We have that same abundance and authority in our lives. When the storm is raging around us, the way we speak peace to the storm is not by looking at the wind, but looking at the king. And when we look at the king, the storm will absolutely have no significance on our pursuit and passion and worship and love for him. See, what we have here is I'm going to call it the pause. The pause. They didn't run out, right? They stayed. And this entire household met Jesus that day. Passing on in time a little bit, it says in verse 35, but when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. Oh, they were already released, right? In Jesus' name. They stayed. Magistrates come, say, let them go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. I, I don't. I, this is crazy, but Paul says to them, No, we're not going anywhere. He says, they, they have beaten us publicly, and uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens. You hear what Paul just said? They could not do this legally to us. We are Roman citizens. And and now they've thrown us into prison. They do not throw us out. They will not throw us out secretly. No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The peace reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens so they came, and apo- came in person and apologized and I'm going to tell you this morning that when we stand firm in our freedom in God those that once accused us will now come to us in apology for what they accused us because I'm here to say this morning that they cannot accuse you, they may be able to project words at you, they may be able to say things that are false but there is no one that can accuse us of anything because it is God whom we serve. It is God who has great thoughts for us. It is God that lifts us up and he sets us in a path for righteousness. It is God that is the only one that has significance upon the words that are spoken about who we are. So maybe we need to pause in this And remind ourselves of who we are in God. We can read in the Word of God in the Bible that we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the blessed of God. The Word of God says, I mentioned it earlier, that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. He has a plan. And so I encourage you this morning that if you're already living in freedom, even though the circumstances around us would contradict that. But once those things change, don't rush out of this land. Don't rush out of the land in which God has placed you in. But pause for a moment because it's in this move that he's going to set the stage for man to make a difference in other man's life. You see, we see it all throughout time, all throughout scripture, that even though God is capable of doing anything, God has chosen that you and I would be the ones that would carry out his message. You and I would be the ones that carry out his plan. You and I would be the ones that are a demonstration of the reality of God. So we need to pause and allow him to work through us in the midst of the chaos. And after they had apologized, they took them out and they asked them to leave the city. So they went out of prison. They visited. Oh my goodness, they're not even leaving the city yet. They visited Lydia. Who was Lydia? Remember, she was the one that made the provision for a place to stay. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them. And they departed. Do you realize that they didn't come into to Lydia and the brothers that were around and say, Did you see what we went through? Did you see how bad the Roman guards are and the magistrates are? They didn't concentrate on the negativity. But they just returned Right back to their purposeful plan. Their their perfect plan that God had in them. And they encouraged the people. And then they departed. You see. We need to be people that are encouragers regardless. When our mouths are opening. We need to be edifying. When our mouths are. When we're talking. And we're around, around other people. We ought to be the message. We ought to be the encouragers. We need to build up and not tear down. And you see. This is what we call the purpose. I think it's crucial that we recognize that our circumstances don't always fall in line with what it. it seems like the purpose is. But if we recognize that our purpose is to be conduits for the living God to work through, then the circumstances cannot ever get us off course. The circumstances cannot ever. Change the fact that God has a plan to work through us. And I'm asking you this morning through every circumstance, every trial, every high and every low are you staying on purpose? Are you staying focused and recognizing again that it's not these external circumstances that dictate God's will for my life, God's plan for my life, and God's goodness in my life? But it is God Himself who establishes within us who we are, where we should be, and what we should be doing. It is the purpose. So in closing this morning, I want us to just examine, that was awesome, examine ourselves. Because I feel like that we have described somehow in a timeline, if this story had a timeline, I think we could all put ourselves somewhere in that timeline. Where are you in the timeline? Where are you in the timeline? Are you at the beginning where it appears good? Are you in the middle where the distraction is coming? Or are you at the end? I don't know that where any of us could really sit at the end of the timeline in this story. I feel like for myself, if I can just be real... I'm sitting at the beginning stage of this. Things are going well. And I need to be reminded that. I need to be reminded that. Even though insults and things might come my way. I'm sitting right in the perfect plan of God. So let's just. For a moment. Assess where you are. And you know I think. that Regardless of where we are in that timeline. Our response is the same. We worship. Our response is the same. We cry out to our God for who he is. Not for what he can do. Whether it's good or bad. Or in the deliverance side. God is faithful. (laughs) Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, Should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiami.com. That's w-l-m-i-a-m-i dot com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.